At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Thank you, choir and orchestra. That was just wonderful. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made, and it also happens to be Pastor Chris's birthday. And in honor of Pastor Chris's birthday, they had him preach over there. <laughs> I'm in here with you today, but I've, I've heard it on, um, from some very important people that what Chris wants most from you today is a really tight hug. So if you remember one thing this morning, as you find Pastor Chris meandering around Great Hall, give him a really big tight hug this morning. My name is Danny. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the First Baptist Church family. I typically preach in our other venue at 4th Street Crossing across the street in our Logos congregation. So if you're new here today, I'm glad you're here and I'm delighted that you have chosen to join us in worship. Uh, we have been in a series about prayer. And today we are in John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. So if you would open up the Word of God to John chapter 17, or if you have a device, you can use that as well. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, is an incredible recording of one of Jesus' prayers in Scripture. It's the longest recording of Jesus' prayers in the Bible, and it's just absolutely stunning in a lot of different ways. In fact, we could have spent the whole 13 weeks in this series on prayer in just John chapter 17. With all that is in front of him at this point in the gospel story, the story of his life and teaching, there's so much in front of him. There's the cross, there's the resurrection, there's his ascension, and it's in this moment with everything before him that Jesus prays. We know that he prays for himself first. Then he prays for his disciples as they remain as witnesses in a very hostile world. And then, remarkably, he prays for us, the church. Of course, not just First Baptist Church, but the global church, his bride all across the world in every nation. And it's among these verses where he prays for his church that we'll be investing our time this morning. And so, would you honor God's Word by standing, and we're going to read verses 20 through 26 of John chapter 17. Let's read this together. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their Word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, 
for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you, you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word to us, and may you be honored by our reading it together. Most of all, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to put your word into action in our church family. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm going to invest our time this morning mainly in verses 20 through 23, and there is a simple progression in Jesus' prayer that He summarizes in verses 22 through 23. That, that summary is that Jesus gives us His glory so that we might be one, and the result of that oneness is that those in the world may believe and experience the love of Jesus. A very simple progression. Glory, oneness, and belief in the world around us. The question that we want to ask this morning is, what in the world does Jesus mean by His glory given to us? And what is oneness to look like? And how is that to result in belief in a broken, hurting, sinful world? Well, those are the questions I hope to answer for you and with you this morning. But mostly, I really hope that we will learn to pray just like Jesus for one another and that we would be motivated to put His prayer into action and fulfillment in the church at large and, of course, in our church family. Put feet to that. So what does Jesus mean by glory? What a peculiar thing to say in verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Well, I think the simplest definition of glory is the display of a things or persons, na nature and character. Glory is when something lets itself be known in its nature and character. It's a display of that. Just like if you were under the darkest of night skies, some of you have experienced this, whether it's someplace in West Texas or across the world where there's very little light pollution, you look up and you see this canopy of stars. It's like there's not one spot where there isn't a beckoning light. It's incredible. You see the canopy of stars in all of its glory, right? Or you're standing in front of this incredible mountain vista or this vast ocean that you can't even really begin to comprehend its depths and its heights and its lengths, and you behold all of its glory. Or if you're at a wedding, and that bride in her resplendent white gown and manicured hair fully beautiful, and when she begins to walk down that aisle, what happens? Everyone turns to behold her glory. Glory is that display 
of the nature and character of a thing that in these senses captivates the human heart, draws our attention. And the Father gave glory to the Son. In fact, He held that glory before the universe was even created. He shared it with the Father. But Jesus says that I have given you my glory. Now, we know the apostles saw that kind of glory in Jesus. In fact, John writes about it in John chapter 1. We just read it, but I just want to mention uh, that one verse again so we can hear it. Verse 14 in chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The apostles beheld the glory of the Son. Now Moses and the people of God before, they encounter God's glory in smoke and fire on the mountain, the pillar by day, the fire by night, the plagues of Egypt. They beheld the glory of God and the giving of the law. But the apostles experienced and saw the glory of God in Jesus, transfixed by it. For three years, these men beheld the glory of the Son in Jesus Christ, the glory of God. Through His earthly ministry, they saw it. They saw Him bless. They saw Him forgive. They saw Him have power over spiritual darkness and exercising demons. They saw Him heal countless people, raise the dead. And if that wasn't enough, they, they beheld and heard His glory through His authoritative teaching of the coming kingdom of God. As He described and lived out for them what heaven ought to look like what heaven looks like. Can you imagine that? These men and others saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Him calm the storm. They saw Him forgive sin above all things. Feed the 5,000. They saw the glory of God in Jesus. In His earthly ministry, in His teaching, in His grace, in truth that He talks about in verse 14. So what glory has Jesus given us? If that's how God's glory was on display in the life of Jesus and His earthly ministry, what does it mean then that He has given glory to us? This is what I think He means. Jesus means that the glory of God revealed during His earthly ministry, the countless miracles, the incredible authoritative teaching, is now to be revealed through His church. That's the glory given to us. That as we received and beheld the Son of God, now we have been given that glory so the world can behold the Son through His church. Well, Jesus moves on. He says that giving of that kind of glory, that beholding of the Son with that new responsibility, something happens when we take that on together, when we behold Jesus together. He says, you become one. I have given you my glory that you may be one. We can't be one apart from the glory of God. 
in Jesus. But it's in the receiving of Jesus' glory that we become one. But what does Jesus mean by one? I think it means that God's glory revealed in Jesus gives us a singular object to behold. In this case, a person. Kind of like how the author of Hebrews writes, set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. It's where all of our hearts attuned to. It's where all of our gazes are captured is in the reality of the glory of the Son. We can't keep looking from keep from looking at Him. At least that's what should happen in our life. It's hard in the world in which we live when we can be enamored by so many other things, but we should behold the Son. So there should be a singular object of our faith, of our hope, and of our affections and love. But not only there should also be a singular shared mission together. So there's a singular object of our affection, of our faith together, Jesus, and then there's a singular shared mission or a movement that we're a part of that Jesus inaugurated in His incarnation and His death and resurrection. Paul describes this kind of oneness in Ephesians chapter 4, verse Four, y'all know this passage well. Paul writes, There's one body, which is the church, one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's beholding the beauty and the glory of the Son of God and his work of restoring all of creation, knowing forgiveness and restoration. There's that singular oneness that we set our eyes on Jesus. He goes on. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Last year, I had the privilege of going to Yellowstone for the first time. How many of you have been to Yellowstone? Many of you. If you haven't been, you need to go. It's an incredible part of the country. Um, but those of you who've been know what I'm talking about. You're, you're driving around this incredible national park with much to see and you see a pool of cars all congregated together on the side of the road. So, what do you do? You pull over. Why? Because you want to see what they're looking at. You have no idea what they're looking at, but everyone's gawking at something. So, you see this crowd of people who are one, and they're beholding of something, and you pull alongside to get a glimpse too. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. I'm praying that they can have a oneness in their beholding that they can be caught up in who I am, that they give themselves wholly and freely and, and full of joy and gladness to me alone. I want to be their singular object of faith, live for no one else. But what happens typically after that brief congregation of cars along the side of the road at Yellowstone? Once they've figured out what they're looking at and taking their pictures, what do they do? They just disperse and move on. They just kind of go on their, their own way so that they can maybe find another beholding opportunity. But here's the thing. It's not enough for us just to behold Jesus together and disperse. That's what Jesus is saying. We must also move in a singular shared mission together. We must be 
linked arms, in sync, headed the same direction, on the same page, understanding the mission of God that He has for not just you or a singular family or a singular person, but all of us as a local church bound together, linked up in a shared mission. His mission. Jesus' mission. In the incarnation of the Son of God, He inaugurated a brand new creation through which His life, He demonstrated the nature of the kingdom of God. He was heaven on earth in those three, well, 33 years. And He's invited us, share in my mission to recreate the whole world to overcome sin and darkness that He's accomplished in His death and resurrection. Will you join me in that mission? Will you be a part of that movement? Will we link arms together? That's His prayer. Will you not just behold me, but will you join me? And will you join one another in that shared mission to be a part of His movement where we bless, where we forgive, where we demonstrate power over spiritual darkness because of the Spirit of God at work in us, where we heal, where we meet needs, where we teach with the authority the things of God through the Word of God. Will we be His church, heaven on earth? That's how He's praying. He's saying, I've given them My glory so that they could be one so that they can know me in oneness, but also share in my mission that they might be a panorama of the glory of God until I return. Church, we were were designed to be singular. One in our affections and one in our mission together. Like a rowing team, each member performing its own special role but all moving in sync in the same direction together. It's no wonder that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that the writer describes marriage in oneness, where you have a husband and a wife departing from their families and moving towards one another, but not only towards one another, but in the same direction a new direction together. That's the picture that we have here in this prayer. May they move towards one another in my name, and may they move in the same direction, the one that I have set for them, to join me in my mission in all all the world. We were made to move together. We were made to display the glory of Jesus to the world. Some of you might know this, there's a, a, a Texas, Texan artist named um, Jim Campbell. In 1994, he commissioned what would become the largest collaborative work of art in human history. Now, it's soon to be eclipsed relatively soon. Um, but he put together this vision for this collaborative work of art. It ended up being eight feet tall and 48 feet wide. It took about three and a half years to complete with close to 26,000 different people contributing to painting that art made up of 12 panels. 
He traveled all across the state. In fact, he went to 44 of the 50 states and 21 countries with a singular vision, different people connected, contributing to that work of art that when it was finally completed, put a marvelous piece of work of art on display, a beautiful unity. It's not unlike that that Jesus is praying for and asking the Father to fill in the life of the church that that we would be one, unified in who He is and what He's done and our affection for Him and unified in our mission and shared movement together that when we put all the pieces together in a very intentional and strategic kind of way that the world couldn't help but see Jesus. The truth is, um, we can't afford to be missionless or scattered. If you read these verses right, I've given them my glory that they might be one, that the world might know and believe the one whom in you sent, and that they might know my love, your love for them. If there is not oneness pursued, if we're just a scattered people going our own way with our own objectives and agendas, even those among us who love Jesus, then the mission goes unfulfilled. The mission's fulfilled in our oneness, not in our scatteredness. Beholding Jesus together, which we do really well, and I'm grateful, we behold Jesus well together. We gather well We worship and praise God through music well. But beholding Jesus together, but not moving together in a shared mission is like a rowing team getting in the boat together, but not going anywhere. Or it's like a body of loosely connected limbs and members that are fast asleep at best or maybe a corpse at worst. We can't afford not to have a shared mission together to link arms together, to be a part of what God is doing in all the earth. Because the purpose of oneness is the world's belief. It's the world's response to that display of heaven on earth, of Jesus displayed in the body of Christ. That's the plan. Habakkuk 2.14 embodies everything that Jesus is praying for and is called the church to. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If we can't be about that, the world is in trouble. We must set our hearts together to have a shared mission. That's what the world needs from us to see, a clear picture and display of the glory of Jesus through His church. So how do we do that? Just briefly, I have some suggestions that I want to offer. Um, how, do, how do we move in sync together as a church family or even as smaller groups within our church family? The first thing that I would encourage you to do is agree together. Agree that the greatest mission and movement of God is what He wants to accomplish through the church in revealing Jesus to the world. It's the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28. It's John 17. 
It's the end of almost every gospel where Jesus says, I'm sending you, go, bear witness, make disciples. We've got to agree together that that's the mission, that's the shared mission of the church. And then I think we also then pray. We pray like, Jesus, Lord, may that become a reality. Even among our small group, can we be one in this? Help us to be one in our affection for Jesus and help us to be one on this shared mission. Help us to be ambitious about how do we love our neighbors, bless our neighbors, introduce Jesus to our neighbors. Pray together that God would fulfill that. Pray for the neighbors. Pray for the community. Pray for the world. Pray for the nations. And then I would suggest dreaming together as a group of people, a small group of believers. Maybe it's your Bible study group or a small group. Begin to dream and what would it look like if we really set out to bless our neighbors and introduce them to heaven on earth, Jesus? How would we do that? What would that look like? And throw some ideas on the board and cross some out. Who knows? Just dream with one another. And then after a season of agreeing and praying and dreaming, actually put a strategy together. Hey, this is what we're going to try. We're going to give this a shot until it doesn't work. We're just going to do something because we know we've been sent. We know we've been called to be one and so that the world might know Jesus was sent. And then lastly, gosh, we can get caught up in all of those agreement, praying, dream, and strategizing, but sometimes we wrestle with going. So that's the last element. Once you've strategized, go. Encourage each other to go. I'm talking about the places where you already live, the places where you're already going. Dream together as a group, as a church family. And strategize, how might we go? And then go. Church, we can't settle with just beholding the sun. We have to have a singular shared mission with the sun. My prayer is that becomes increasingly true about me and my relationship to this church family and this church family, that we might be one and share in that mission together. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the glory that we see that testifies to Your Son Jesus through Your Word. And Lord, as You've given us Your glory, may we love You see You, respond to You. But also, Lord, may we have a shared mission together. Help us to be one in those ways so that our world may know that You were sent by the Father and that He loves them. They might, they, they might know forgiveness and restoration like we know forgiveness and restoration. Give us feet to move together. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.